We're going to be going into Philippians. Um, and before we get into Philippians, uh, I need to give you a little bit of background so that you can contextualize, contextualize this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. So let's go to the book of Acts first. And in the book of Acts, we find that Paul has uh, had three missionary journeys. And in chapter 16, we find a record of his second missionary journey. And in that second journey, we're told that Paul uh, was separated from a man that he went on the first missionary journey on. And, and that guy is named Barnabas. And the reason that they separated was because they had this disagreement about a fellow by the name of Mark. Now, Mark and Barnabas, they were relatives. And, and on that first missionary journey, Barnabas and Paul brought Mark along. Well, Mark got tired. He decided to leave and it didn't make type A personality Paul very happy. So when this second missionary journey comes around, um, Paul didn't want to bring Mark this time. And Barnabas did. And so we have this contention recorded in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 39. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, keep in mind that um, Mark is a relative of Barnabas. You can't ditch out on family, right? You just can't. Barnabas was saying, yo, man, this is my boy. This is my cuz. And it was. It was his cuz. And Paul said, I can't have it, yo. So, so the band broke up. The band broke up and, and Paul goes on to tell Barnabas, don't really want to make it tough. I just want to tell you that I had enough. Might sound crazy, but it ain't no lie, baby. Bye, bye, bye. So and then what's interesting is that you don't hear of Barnabas again like you don't hear of the rest of sync, Right. And Paul goes on to have this Justin Timberlake like fame. You don't read about Joey Fatone anymore. You don't see Lance Bass traveling with Justin anymore. Right? And things seem to center on Paul the Apostle Timberlake from this point on. Read your Bible. From Acts on, right? All those letters of Paul. Barnabas, not a one. And so this is interesting. And, but later on, we do hear of Mark again. In 2 Timothy, Paul mentions Mark and, and mentions to Timothy to bring him because he's useful for ministry. And this Mark that was the cause of the breaking of the band between uh, Barnabas and Paul is the same Mark that some scholars credit for writing the gospel of Mark. And God gives us second chances. And this is great. We just finished the book of Jonah where we learned about second chances, where we learned about Loving people that you hate. And where Jonah is challenged to love the Ninevites. And Paul was such a Ninevite to the early Christians. He was a terrorist to the early Christian church. He was a tyrant to the church. Throwing people in prison for believing in Jesus. Putting some to death for, for those who followed Jesus. And God saved him. And he was like a Ninevite. And the early church had a decision to make as to how they were going to continue their Jonah story. And the early Christians had an opportunity to write their Jonah chapter 5, just like we do. And it was logical. It made sense that they were afraid. This was a guy that killed their friends. This was a guy that imprisoned their family members. 
But, Bar- but Barnabas went to Paul's aid. And the book of Jonah must have been going through Barnabas' head. He, he learned from the book of Jonah and went to encourage Paul. And he conciliated Paul to the Christian community. Isn't it interesting that Barnabas was able to bring him into the community and now we have Paul not being able to accept Mark? But God is a God of second chances. And Paul and Mark, they do reconcile. Back to Acts chapter 16, we're told that Paul heads off to a Roman colony by the name of Philippi. And instead of traveling with Barnabas, he went there with Silas, Luke and Timothy. And these guys are planting the very first churches in modern day Europe. In Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 14, it tells us of Lydia's conversion as well as her household. And some of you were baptized where Lydia was baptized on our last trip, uh, tracing the steps of Paul. And one of you lost your boxers there. I won't say who. I won't say who because your birthday is this week, but I do not want to see your birthday suit again. And it also talks about a jailer and his household coming to faith. And here is where the Philippian church, this is where it's birthed. So it's about 11 years later. It's about A.D. 62. And Paul writes this letter to the Philippians from a Roman prison. And the book of Philippians is one of the the prison epistles, along with Philemon, Ephesians, Colossians. And even while in prison, Paul was very concerned for the church. He had such a wonderful shepherd's heart. He dearly loved the people and he cared for their spiritual welfare. And in this letter to the Philippians, we see Paul's love for them. And here are a few reasons he wrote this letter to them. One of the reasons was to inform them how he was doing in prison. He wanted to let them know that he was okay. We'll be going over those verses next week. That's at the end of chapter one. A second reason was he wanted to encourage them to live lives of humbleness. To live lives of commitment, of harmony. He wanted them to make sure that they stuck together in unity, even in the really, really tough times, and that they would love one another with hearts of humility. And you see this exhortation at the end of chapter 1, at the beginning of chapter 2, as well as the very few uh, verses in chapter 3 and 4. And the last reason I want to bring up is, is that he simply wanted to thank them. He wanted to thank them for their support. And you'll see that next year when we get into chapter 4. Kidding, it's not gonna, it won't take that long. Now, there's a theme to this letter, and this theme is joy. The theme is rejoicing. This is a main word in this letter. The word rejoice or a form of it, such as joy or gladness, shows up 16 different times in this letter. And Paul is encouraging these guys to rejoice in God. And remember that song that you probably learned as a kid? Rejoice in the Lord always again, I say rejoice. Thank you, Jess, for the clap. Thank you. That's from Philippians 4. And, and he wanted them to have joy. This is a guy who is writing about joy from prison. A little odd, right? How can Paul do that? How can you be joyful when you're locked up uh, away from those that you love the most? Because even, even though uh, Paul was locked up physically, he was free spiritually. He was spiritually free. So I, I, I correspond with people in prison. And uh, there's, there's one guy in particular that I correspond with regularly. Um, it, it's an absolute blessing to me to hear how he's doing. Every week we send him a transcript of, of the sermons and, and he, writes back, he, he writes back with uh, questions and comments. And it's so encouraging for me to, to hear from him. And that even though he's locked up physically, 
He's free spiritually. And we see the effects of Paul being spiritually free as his letters minister to us today. That no matter what our circumstances, we can find joy in the Lord. Paul wants the Philippians to rejoice, to find joy in the Lord. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10 tells us, The joy of the Lord is your strength. And I think we have to differentiate between joy and happiness because they're completely different. They're not the same. Happiness is derived from the word happen, which is derived from the word hap, which also means luck or chance. So happiness is dependent on the happenings of your life. What is happening by chance or by luck? Circumstances dictate whether you are happy. Joy is not dependent on circumstances. Chance or luck do not dictate joy. Joy is from the Spirit of God. The joy from the Lord is not robbed by circumstances because we know that God is sovereign. And in this space of eternity, terrible circumstances, they come and go, and for sure they come, and for sure they go, but the Lord remains. And Paul understood that. Even though he was physically chained up, he was spiritually free to experience the love, the peace, the joy of God, that no matter where he was, he could be salt and light to wherever he was. And if if we could choose where we'd like to be, for many of us, it's probably not where we are, right? We, we We often find that we want something else or we want to be somewhere else and that the grass is always greener on the other side. But God wants us to find joy wherever we're at. As long as he is with us, does it really matter? Isn't that the most joyful place to be? To be where God is at? And some of the greatest lessons we can learn, ever learn, come from places we can't escape. It's in in those places that seem so dire, so grave. Those are the places that we truly sense his presence. Those difficult places, those places of pain and hurt are often where the great lessons of life are learned. Those places are where character is formed, where patience is developed, where where joy is found. And keep that in mind as, as we now jump into Philippians chapter one, verse one. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. And notice that Paul and Timothy are mentioned together. It happens a few times in the Bible. Bible. Corinthians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Philemon. Also notice that Paul introduces the two of them as bondservants of Jesus Christ. That's interesting because if you you break down the idea of, of being a bondservant, We find that we're all serving someone or something. All of us are serving someone or something. So the question is, who or what are you serving? Are you a slave to the world? The world that is always changing and and leaves you unsatisfied because it always changes and your appetite for it can never be satisfied? Are you serving sin? Are you a slave to sin? Are you unable to break a sinful habit in your life? Are you a slave to Satan? To whom or what are you a slave to? See, Jesus came to set, set you free from the world, set you free from sin, from Satan. He came to set the captives free. He tells us how to be free by surrendering, surrendering our life to him. He set us free by dying on the cross to overcome the world, to have victory over sin, to conquer Satan. And from his death, we can now experience the peace that he has made available to us, the joy he has made available to us. And Paul is declaring for himself and for Timothy that their master is Jesus. That they serve Jesus. No one else, 
Nothing else, not the world, not sin, not Satan. They serve Jesus. And the term bondservant is really interesting. Exodus 21 speaks of this. There, there were different ways that one became a servant. You, you might sell yourself because of poverty, as mentioned in Leviticus chapter 25. Or a father might sell his children to servitude, as mentioned in Exodus 21. Bankruptcy, mentioned in Second Kings. Or restitution, Exodus 22. Well, let's say that you got married and, and had children during that time you were a servant. Well, according to the law, your wife and children were to remain with the master that you were with, that you were serving. And in order to have them, you would have to redeem them. You would have to pay for them. So now you're, when your time was up, being a servant, you had a choice to make. Do you leave your wife and your kids uh, to your master and you go your way? Or do you redeem them? Do you pay for them to be set free? Or do you choose to stay? If you chose to stay, this time it's not temporary. This time it's for life. And to be a servant for life, that's not to be taken very lightly. It's because you wanted to be there. You loved serving there. You loved your master. If that were not the case, you would just work and try to buy your family back, right? So... There was this whole ceremony involved about going to the judges, being in the presence of witnesses. Then you would be taken to a door or a doorpost. And right there, your ear would be um, hammered in with an awl. And this would indicate that you chose to stay there, right? Quite quite literally, you were there. And, And that's what Paul and Timothy are saying. I love my master, Jesus. I choose to stay with him forever. I give him my life. And this is a title of humility. This is... A renunciation of, of your self-importance, that, that your life is no longer your own. And, and that they give up their rights because they belong to Jesus now. Back to verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. And notice that he's addressing this letter to saints, bishops, and deacons. Saints is just another word to describe Christians. It's, it's used over 60 times in the New Testament. It's a word that's used to describe uh, being set apart, set apart for the master's use. It's for those who follow Jesus. And it's this general term that's used inside the church. And he's also addressing the church leadership and those who are serving in the church when he mentions bishops and deacons. Verse two, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace are mentioned together in Paul's greetings. And and what's interesting is that you don't read about peace coming before grace, ever. It's always grace before peace. And I don't think it's because Paul was like OCD, you know, oh, kind of always have this way, always this way. I think it's just logical, okay? You you don't have peace without first having God's grace. And, and what Paul is doing is combining two very common greetings from two very different cultures. Grace to you was a common greeting for, for the Greeks, for the Gentiles. And, and peace or shalom was a, was a common greeting for the Jews. And while he was being really inclusive in this letter, Paul combined a spiritual truth in this simple greeting. And you have to have God's grace before you can have God's peace. Verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The church in Philippi gave Paul great joy. 
And as a pastor, a church leader, there is so much joy in knowing that a church you are involved in is doing well. And as a pastor here, I, I confess my love for this church. I confess my love for you. I love the people here. Most of you. But <laughs> seriously, if, if it weren't for you, I, I wouldn't be here. I really wouldn't. A year ago and even before that, I had struggles as to whether I was going to stay here as a pastor. Um, I, I wasn't in agreement with how things were going on at the time. And, and as I contemplated leaving, there, there was one question that I was confronted with by God. And, and the question was, do you love the people? And I had to admit that I did. I did. And, and I sensed God tell me, Stay. And I think that if I said that I didn't love you folks, like, no, not really. He would have said, leave. And, and I have a love for you guys. I'm concerned for your spiritual well-being. I care for you guys. My prayers, my wife's prayers, center so much on the people in this church. And this is where a good portion of my heart is. And so when I read what the Apostle Paul writes here, I totally, totally relate to what he writes. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he who has began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I rejoice for you. I'm so thankful for you. And I'm grateful for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And there are some of you who are still here since the first day Regeneration became a church. I think there are three of us from when Regeneration was a Bible study in the back room in a nightclub. And, and look where the Lord has brought us. How God has brought us from a Bible study of less than a dozen people who prayed for, for God to use us to a church still praying for God to use us. But we can now see God's answers from our prayers eight years ago. And there's reason to rejoice. Our family has grown. Our fellowship has grown. God is intricately involved here. And there are prayers prayed way back when that, that we can see through our prayer journals that are answered now. And, and I'm excited to see how the Lord's going to answer the prayers we pray now. And there's an interesting phrase in verse 5. Your fellowship in the gospel. What a beautiful thing. We are united in Jesus Christ. We have received the grace of God. We have received the gospel. The good news that Jesus made our relationship with God possible through his death on the cross. We have a spiritual unity with the good news. And many years ago, I, I was working with the Korean refugees in Thailand. Um, the Korean are, are an indigenous people from rural Burma who, who, who've just had their human rights just severely abused by, by um, the Burmese military junta. Um, they've been enslaved, uh, forced labor, destruction of their villages and crops, forced relocation, extortion, looting, detention, torture, sexual assault, executions. There are half a million to a million people, a uh, million Korean people that are living in hiding inside of Burma. And there are another 155,000 living in refugee camps along the Thai-Burma border. And I was in one of those nine refugee camps in Thailand, and my host that I was living with um, at the time was General Hlatu. Um, such an awesome guy. Most of his fingers were gone, and um, he's just an older guy. Back then he was in his, uh, I would say, 80s. 
and um, just really, really wise. And we would sit around and talk all night. And he told me about the plight of the Karin. He, he told me the difficulties that they suffered. But he also shared with me the joy of the Lord and his love for God. He, he loved the Lord and he, he loved hats. Um, we, I, he asked for my hats and so I gave them to him. Um, he was the general of the army. So, um, and then he'd give me like a tin. Like, thanks. So it was, it was, anyway, we have totally different cultures. We have totally different lives, but we have the same Lord. We, we have Jesus in common. And because of that, we have this understanding of, of the love of God that binds us together as the children of the same Father. And there is a, a depth of love there that, that if you don't have this relationship with God, you probably just won't get it. And to be able to talk about the things of God and how God has provided for them. There was this one story where the president at the time, he, he was leading his, his platoon and they were fighting the Burmese. And then they found themselves surrounded. And a, a heavy fog came in and, and they didn't know which way to go. And all they saw was this gunfire and, and they were running low on ammo. And he was a Christian, so, so he said, I don't know what you guys believe in, but I believe in Jesus Christ. And right now, we got to just pray. Everyone get on their knees, and you're, we're praying. And so they prayed. They, they stopped firing back. They got on their knees, and they, and they prayed. And then they were able to escape. There was a path of escape for them. And it was an incredible story. And, and, and for him to share stories about God's faithfulness and, and to praise God together, to pray to our Father together and for each other, that's a depth of love you can't have without God. We wept, we rejoiced, we ate, we shared words of promise and encouragement from God's Word, and we partnered in ministry side by side. That relationship deepened at every interaction. And, and there is love there that is beyond what is describable. And the refugee camp I was in with General Latu was shelled a week later that I was there and, and the entire village had to be evacuated. And I heard that he made it out from one of his colonels, but, but I haven't spoken with him in over 13 years. But the three weeks that I spent with him were, were so full of love for one another. And some of you have similar experiences. You go on a, on a missions trip and, and even though it's only for a couple of weeks, there's a love that you experience with other believers, even though you don't speak the same language and your cultures are so different. And we have teams going to orphanages in Ukraine and Kenya this year. Pray about it and see if God wants you to go. Go weep, rejoice, encourage, pray uh, with a brother or sister in another country and, and see how much love there is because you have Jesus in common. Last year in Kenya, they had those um, those riots. And um, I can't wait for our teams to go there and and. and exchange stories and, and talk and see what, what God was doing during that really tough time. And I'd like to bring it a little closer to home now as, um, as well, because it's not just about going on a mission trip to experience fellowship in the gospel. Do it here. You won't have fellowship here if you just come here on a Sunday and then you just leave. Friendships and, and bonds of family are developed when, when you're involved in serving one another and serving with one another. In this church, you will meet some of the, the most finest people ever. But you won't ever find that out to be true if you don't get involved in people's lives. So you ask yourself if you lack intimate relationships in, in your life, healthy intimate relationships in your life. 
You know how to solve that problem? Serve Jesus. And you'll, you'll find such an intimacy and a closeness by serving Jesus with others. And another thing I'd like to bring up along with serving is giving. Paul was thankful to the Philippians because even though they were far off and, and, and not in his immediate fellowship, he was able to participate in an intimacy with them because he felt supported through their giving. And we'll see that more clearly when we get into chapter 4. But, but if you want to grow in, in fellowship, you have to give towards the relationship. That's any relationship. That's just not church. Any relationship. You have to give something. Giving of your time, your energy, your financial resources to invest into one another by serving and giving so that we can continue doing God's work together. And what giving does is it proves what you actually value. Is it just lip service or are you putting your money where your mouth is? And this fellowship gives Paul great joy because their service and their giving is a proof that their genuine fellowship is centered on Jesus and their unity in serving and giving towards the things of God. And I'm so thankful for you guys this past year. The economy sucked 2008. But the Lord was so faithful in providing for our church. Um, 2007 compared to 2008, it was basically the same. And considering everything that happened internally at our church with all the changes, with the resignation of, of our former pastor and uh, with all the changes that were happening inside the church and then also outside the church with the economy and stuff, to break even, that's pretty darn good. Verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Notice this phrase, being confident of this very thing. Confident, meaning that he's persuaded, he's thoroughly convinced that God began a good work in them. And based on this confidence of their genuine relationship with Jesus, Paul encourages them to, to uh, continue what they're doing. These are folks who have been faithful for the past 11 years, and he continues in his confidence that they will continue walking in the way of Jesus. He is confident that they will continue following, walking with Jesus. Now, now notice that his confidence isn't in people. It's in God. Paul's confidence is in God, who always finishes what he has begun. If this church was established by man, by man then sooner or later this thing's going to fall, right? But God always finishes what he begins. We cannot rely on man. Hebrews 12 tells us that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. As Elaine earlier read, and he begins and he finishes. The question is not whether he will finish a good work in you. The question is whether he began a good work in you. Because if he did, he will complete it. But that's only if he began it. And we have these theological debates about eternal security whether people can lose their salvation or once saved, uh, always saved. So we hear phrases like that, once saved, always saved. I don't know if it's all that important. I'm not so sure that a relationship with God is just about salvation. It just seems that if you want a relationship with God just because you want to live forever, doesn't it diminish why you want to live forever? Do you want salvation because you love God? You're a bondservant. You choose. You want to be with that person forever. And you want to be with God forever. Or is it more of a self-serving thing? I just don't want to die. Salvation is dependent on God. 
He is the judge of whether or not your conversion was genuine. No one else can make that call. The question is not about whether someone is saved. The question is whether God really began that work or didn't. And that's between God and an individual. We can't judge, nor are we supposed to, uh, salvation. We don't have the ability to do that for others. It's just for ourselves. So did God begin a work in you or did he not? That's between you and him. But I do know that once he begins a work, he completes it. In Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 30, Jesus says, For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. You have to count the cost. When God begins a work in you, do you think that um, he ever thinks, I don't know if I have enough to finish the work in that guy. And I know that some of you take a lot of resources and some of you more than others. But God's resources are infinite. Is it possible that God is deficient and can't finish a work that he started? That's impossible. The answer is no. Jesus said that it would be foolish of someone who hasn't counted the cost before endeavoring on a good work. Don't you think that he applies that to himself? If God is the one who began a work in me, he's going to continue that work until completion. He can. He has the resources to do so no matter how many resources I take. I take a lot. And and thank God he has infinite resources. Some people like to put everything on themselves. And and some people think that Jesus saved them, but, but now they're the ones responsible to keep themselves saved. It's not you. Thank God it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works within you. And yes, you have a responsibility to heed the Holy Spirit. Uh, while, while he's ministering to you, but it doesn't originate with you. And Paul gives us some insight on this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do good, and to do for his good pleasure. In other words, There is an effort on your part. Verse 12, you have to work out. But notice it doesn't say you have to work for your salvation. You are to work out your salvation. You are to work out your salvation that is already there, not work for it. Our lives are to reflect this reality. It is God who works in you. And yes, we have a part there and there's an element of faith and and abiding in Christ and and God has a part as well, but we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Anyone can call Jesus Lord. Right? It's not so much what one says as much as what one does. Does, does what you do correspond to what you say? Do your actions match what you profess? If Jesus is really your Lord, then, then we need to work out that faith as Jesus is working in our life. 
And the one thing we should individually be confident in is whether or not he really began that work. Because if I'm if I'm confident that God started it, then you can rest assured that he's going to complete it. You don't have to worry about the finishing. So when things go bad in the middle, they will. I guarantee it. They always do. Don't worry. Ask yourself if it was God who began the work. If he did, don't worry about it. He'll complete it. And this includes your salvation. If he began it, he'll finish it. You approached him in faith for your salvation. Great. Now, here's a fact. If he began that work, he'll complete it. And watch out for feelings. They're they're not always an accurate gauge of of your spiritual life. They're actually not an accurate gauge of almost anything. Um, You know, sometimes like caffeine or sugar or something you heard or saw, um, it, it causes your emotions to fluctuate. And you can't base your confidence on feelings. You have to base your confidence on the Lord. Verse 7. Just as it is right for me to think this is of all of you, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Paul is simply saying, I love you. Notice how Paul says, I have you in my heart. That's that's the center of our being, the center of our affections, um, where where many of our decisions are made. And and this love that Paul has for them is is from the love Jesus has for them. Let's be honest here for a minute. I want you guys to take a minute or a a few seconds just to look around you. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Not just the people you came with, but look at everyone in the sanctuary. Okay, so you, you, so you got a, kind of got a glimpse of everyone. Ask yourself now, if you'd be hanging out with these people around you if it weren't for Jesus. I don't think so. And from my perspective, I, I see a lot of diversity here. A lot of different cultures, ethnicities, races, stages in life, socioeconomic, age, um, whatever. There's a lot of differences in here. But you know what binds us together? Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus unites us. That's who we need to keep our eyes on. Not our differences, but who we have in common. Jesus. And Jesus shows us how to love one another. We need to keep our eyes on him, not our differences and the things that can divide us. Sometimes we focus on the the most minute things, whether inside the church or when we're out there ministering or serving or whatever. And and they're just things that are, are like really petty things. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus and do the things he wants from us. Loving God, loving each other. It's really that simple. That's it. We don't have to debate about all the other stuff. Love one another, serve one another, another, love God, serve God. Do we really have to divide on other things? Do those other things really matter that much? Do they matter more than loving God and loving each other? No, they don't. Keep the focus on Jesus. And I believe that this is how Paul kept his joy in prison. How Paul was able to have joy regardless of circumstances was because he was focused on Jesus. He didn't worry about, oh, so um, how how many bulletins do you guys pass out at at church in Philippi? 
Or how many songs do you sing? Or how long is your sermon? Come on. That's, that's how he was able to focus on loving people from, from prison guards to Philippians who were far away. It's very clear from this letter that he loved them dearly. And I hope you know that I love you. God placed you on my heart. And if we have a love for God and a love for one another, we can serve God and each other in remarkable ways. And this is what Paul was saying to the Philippian church. You're in my heart and I'm with you in spirit, even though I'm not with you spiritually or, or physically. And notice that the Philippians are with him also. This is a mutual thing. They haven't given up on him, nor are they ashamed of him. They're standing by him. They're continuing to support Paul and strengthening the unity in their fellowship. And that's a prayer that I have for us, that we stick together, that we're so united under Jesus that the things outside of love for one another and love for God, that's where they stay. They stay outside. And for those of you who are right here united with this fellowship, thank you. Thank you. You are who pulled us through these last 10 months. These last 10 months of difficulty for this church, you did it. And for those of you who are new and checking us out, I just ask that you keep praying and, and I, I pray that the Lord leads you into our fellowship. And for those of you who have been here for a while, but, but you haven't quite jumped in, jumped into what's going on, what are you waiting for? You know that you're loved here. If you didn't know, why are you still here? You wouldn't be here. So come on already. Stop bickering. Get united under Christ. The harvest is ripe. Let's get going. Let's get things going. Verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Paul acknowledges that the Philippians have love. But that love needs to abound. It needs to overflow. It needs to abound with knowledge and discernment. Why? Because love isn't simply a feeling. It's not simply an emotion. It's filled with the knowledge of God and the discernment of God. To know what is right and what is wrong in the eyes of God. And that is known through His Spirit. And Paul wants this church to grow. This love has to go beyond just the simple things of emotion. How I feel. Oh, this makes me feel this way. Or coming to church makes me feel this way. They are to have such a relationship with God and the Spirit of God that this love abounds and it grows in its understanding so that their relationship with God is maturing, it's deepening. And the failure to grow is one of the most dangerous things for a Christian. There, there are many so-called uh, people who, who just get saved and then they stop there. There's no further progression. There's no development. There's no maturation. And there are a lot of folks who profess to be followers of Jesus, but they let others think for them. And instead of studying for yourselves, and re uh, you rely on sermons that you want to be entertained or you just want your ears tickled and you want others to feed you what to think. Guys, this is a supplement to what should be happening on your own. This shouldn't be your diet. You don't eat once a week, do you? You don't fast for six days and then you eat one meal on Sunday, do you? And for some, this Sunday meal is good. And for others, this Sunday meal is not so good. But whether you say this meal is good or not good, if this is your only meal, you're malnourished. Whether you think it's good or bad. We need to feed ourselves daily in the Word of God. Every day. You need to feed yourself 
on the Word of God every day. Not just come here once a week and you hear a teaching or, or once in a while. Now, newborns, they can't feed themselves. I understand if you're new. I even understand if you're recovering from an injury or a hurt um, in your life and, and you need to be fed like a patient in a hospital. But if you've been a follower of Jesus for any small amount of time and you're not injured and you're not hurt, you need to feed yourself. Stop being a baby. You can't depend on anyone to feed you. You have to depend on the Lord. You have to depend on the Spirit of God. Then you'll get a better understanding of the ways of God. You'll have better discernment in your decisions by loving God and loving others, serving God and serving others, inquiring of God through prayer, fellowship, meditation, fasting, studying. This is what Paul is hoping for, that, that they don't continue as babies to stop being infantile in their walks with God, but actually mature. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are, full, who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. By staying in the Word of God, you're going to be able to pull from the wealth of the wisdom that the Bible has for you. You'll be better able to discern what God desires from you. God wants, to share, wants you to share the love of Jesus with others. How do you do that? You live that message. You don't know the message if you're not in it. By showing through your life that God is in control of it. You know, people are watching you whether you like it or not. They are watching you. They're watching how you treat people, what you say to people, how you deal with hardships, uh, whether you talk behind people's backs. Um, they're watching. And if you are growing, maturing in the ways of God, you will have something good to offer them. You're going to offer them something. And whether it's good or bad is the, the question. And if you're not growing, you're offering them stale food. It's not fresh stuff. Paul wants the church to grow in knowledge and discernment. And as they grow, they will gain more experience in loving God and loving people. Verse 10. That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Paul wants the Philippians to be sincere. He wants them to be without offense. And this is to say that they're to be genuine people living godly lives. To be real people, not faking our life and, and what Jesus stands for. Saying one thing and acting a different way or, or even not saying anything. You know, that's not sincere either. You know, at your workplace or your church, oh, they don't know I'm a Christian. I think that's a problem. Some people are, are, are just silent about their lives and hiding it, and that's not real. Right? I mean, you talk about the TV shows you watch, so why wouldn't you talk about your worldview? And we are to be real with one another. There needs to be an evidence of who we say that we are. Keep in mind that Paul is a prisoner writing from jail. He's, he's physically locked up, but he's spiritually free. And the gospel is free to go out. The, the, the Spirit of God is free to go out, no matter your circumstances, no matter, no matter where you are, you are in life. And even though Paul is in jail, he is rejoicing in his circumstances. He's not moping about where he's at and, and thinking about other things. He's thinking about the people he loves. And Paul knows that the Philippians are concerned about him, so he writes them a letter and tells them that, hey, I'm, I'm doing okay, I'm doing fine, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm rejoicing in here. 
and that he rejoices for them and he encourages them to rejoice. And I pray that we can be like Paul in that we recognize the joy of God in our lives, even when circumstances just aren't that great. Let's pray. God, thank you for Paul's letter. And uh, sometimes we forget that um, this was a, a real man. This is not just a story. This is um, this really happened, that he was really imprisoned, um, that he really wrote this letter to a church in Philippi where, where people really live, that, that where Lydia was really from. Um, I pray, God, that as we study the word, that, that you would be able to um, impart to us through your spirit um, the depth of it, and to have us pull away from it the things that um, even weren't said here, but that your spirit ministers to us in such a dynamic way. In Jesus' name, amen.